You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Check one, two, one, two. What's up, everybody? Welcome back, Nine Finger Chronicles. Hopefully, everybody's having a great week. Um, I have been pretty inconsistent with what day of the week I'm launching the the podcast, but uh, I'm just kind of bouncing all over the place right now. Just coming off the vasectomy, as you guys have probably heard on the last episode, I'm feeling pretty good. The soreness, or it's less sore, most mostly just like a. Uh, maybe just a little sore maybe just a little sore that's it really and I'm I'm recording this on a Monday and I'm going to fall back into my regularly scheduled workout program so I feel good enough to start getting back into the routine of working out pretty heavy and uh, other than that man I'm good to go I'm feeling good I'm just waiting for Iowa to get quit screwing around and get springy again because man we've had snow in the last four days we've had cold temps we've had ice we've had rain i just want a day honestly of sunshine that's all i want and i want to be able to get outside play outside with the kids they're looking forward to getting outside and stretching their legs my son all he wants to do is play catch outside and it's hard to do that when it's windy and nasty and uh shit like that so i'm looking forward to the spring uh in a couple weeks here i am heading to turkey hunt i'm going to be doing the iowa first season and then i might head down to missouri just on a whim and hunt some ground in missouri some public in missouri just to give it a shot maybe over into illinois if i can find some close private or excuse me, close public, and uh, just shoot from the hip, see where see where everything goes. But that's what's on the schedule moving forward. A lot of changes in work coming up, and I'll share some of that as well, and uh, some cool things coming as far as uh, the Sportsman's Nation is concerned. Uh, if you haven't already, go subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles on uh, iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Let's uh, continue to have you guys listen to it. Man, I tell you what, we got some really good, aside from this one, the next two episodes that that we will launch, this one's good, and so are the other two, the next two coming down. So we have some really, really excellent content coming down the pipe for you guys. Hopefully you enjoy it. And uh, let's see here. Let's let's do a commercial block real quick, but you guys are going to want to listen to this because I got a new discount code for one of my favorite broadheads and that is wasp archery so go to wasparchery.com that's their website take a look at all of the um 
all of the heads that they have, whether you're a fixed blade guy, whether you are a uh, mechanical guy. I, for the most part, am a, am a mechanical guy. There are situations where I will use a, a fixed blade. They, you know, it's, it's a confidence thing. I'm, conf I'm confident in my uh, mechanicals, uh, especially Wasp. Majority, a majority of their heads are built in the United States with some of the best possible material. Uh, that you can get to build a broadhead and a guy a guy pointed out um, to me that I don't talk about how sharp they are enough in these commercials that I need to talk about how sharp they are and they are very sharp they are probably some of the sharpest blades uh, in the broadhead game and uh, you guys can only find that out by going and checking them out yourself so discount code for 20% off it's very easy I got a new one here NFC20 for 20% off uh, Wasp Archery. And then we have, uh, let's see, what are some of the other brands here I got to talk about? We'll go, we'll talk about Vortex. I'm heading to Vortex at the end of the week. I'm going to, it's on kind of a content mission. I'm going to tour their f facility and I'm going to generate some content with uh, some of the people that work there, man. They have some really kick ass guys who are very knowledgeable about a variety of things. So I'm going to be going to Vortex. Obviously, they have a awesome selection a very high quality selection of optics whether you're looking for range finders whether you're looking for um, a rifle scope red dots binoculars spotting scopes i've been using them for a very long time that that doesn't mean shit but take my word for it um man just i love their products and i love their vip warranty where you're able to go in you're able to um you're able to beat the shit out of it. If it breaks, you send it in, they fix it, and they send it back to you for free, no charge. And that's how you get like lifelong customers, right? So go out, go check out vortexoptics.com and uh, take a look at all the products that they offer, badass products. So those are the two uh, commercials today. Thank you very much for listening to those because those guys actually pay my bills and allow me to put out all this free content for you guys. So I, I really do appreciate it. Um, follow along on Instagram, follow along on social, on, on Facebook, Nine Finger Chronicles. If you have a question or you have a story or something that you feel needs to be addressed or you know something to share, hit me up with a DM and uh, we can talk. And more than likely, I'll invite you on the, uh, the podcast to chat. So thank you very much to that. Today's guest is Josh grund and he is from ohio and really the conversation it's kind of a all-inclusive conversation but some of the main topics we discussed today are how you how we go about finding a target deer and what to do if that target deer like doesn't show up and how we make the decision to bail on a specific deer and then try to find another one whether that's putting together a hit list or, or actively checking trail cameras or, or how much time we give an area. All that stuff's kind of uh, uh, talked about today. And it's a really good conversation. It's something that I uh, we don't talk a lot about here, but there are certain times where I feel guys will go all in on a deer and they may not have any idea that the deer is alive or dead. And they, they may hunt a lot in a certain area and be wasting their time. So... We, we, that's some. That's the main. That's not the main topic, but it's something we talk a lot about. It's a really good conversation. So, without further ado, let's get into today. To yeah, I got mumble mouth today, and it sucks. I want to start this intro over, but I got too much shit to do. So, <laughs> this is what you get. Have a good rest of your day and enjoy this episode. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Josh Grun. Josh, how we doing, man? Uh, pretty good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Are you a coffee guy? I am a coffee guy. I'm drinking coffee right now. Actually. Yeah, same here. Usually, I do my recordings in the afternoon, but because of schedule, the, your schedule and my schedule today, we're doing it in the mornings. And I don't know what it is, but like, dude, there's you know, like at, you you work hard outside all day long, or you mow the yard. Nice cold beer you know, is good, but I don't know, man, there's something, maybe it's the older I get, but there's something about the first sip of coffee every morning that dictates how the rest of your day is going to go. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, I use one of those, it's probably kind of bougie, but I use one of those pour overs and that's like the thing that gets me out of bed is <clears throat> I get to, uh, you know, make a nice hot cup of coffee and wake up and yeah, uh, yeah I love it. Yeah. I'll drink coffee till like noon every day. Man. Oh, that's the same with me. I'll drink coffee all the way up until I eat my lunch. Then I'll drink water. And then in the afternoon, depending on if I, I'm tired or whatever the situation may hold, I'll probably drink one more cup of coffee and then I'll be done and I'll still be able to go to sleep on time. No problems. Yeah, I don't have any problem going to sleep. That's yeah. about it. Sounds exactly like my routine. Yeah. So, uh, next question: Are you married? I am not. I uh, I got a girlfriend though. I live with her. So. Okay, you live with your girlfriend. Okay, so maybe we can relate on this topic. All right, I, and you know, and this has to do with coffee, and it has to do with my wife. And I love my wife. Like, don't get me wrong. I love my wife. Great person. She's she's sweetheart. She is. Um, a great mother, great person, but there's certain things that really frustrate me about her. And one of those recently is that she bought a, a new coffee pot just because it looked good and matched in like matched the setting of our kitchen, so to speak. Well, (laughs) we can't figure out how to use the damn thing. So it only makes like two cups, two cups of coffee at a time, then shuts off. And I get freaking pissed now every morning because you got to hit the button, start it, you know, four minutes, two minutes go by and then it shuts off and then you got to go back up there and do it. Meanwhile, and that, that thing costs like a hundred bucks. Meanwhile, our old coffee pot that we ended up throwing away was like 30 bucks from Walmart. And I had zero problems with it. All I want to do when I wake up is drink coffee. I don't want to have to stand there and babysit this machine because that's not what I'm paying for. And so basically <laughs> right now, this is me venting to you that I hate our, our current coffee pot. Yeah. We actually just got a new coffee machine too. It's one of, uh, one of those ninjas mm-hmm. and you can set it and I've never owned a coffee pot like this, but you can set it and get it all ready at night before you go to bed and it will start brewing before you wake up. Yeah. And you walk downstairs, it's like coffee already. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't plan enough to do that. I don't know what, I don't know why I should <laughs> every night before I go to bed, I should just make the pot and then, and then set it. But then, uh, when I wake up, there'll only be two cups in there. You know what I mean? So anyway, F that machine. Yeah, and and to, to be honest with you, F Drew Barrymore, because she's the person <laughs> who, you know, who Drew, Bar- Drew Barrymore is. Yeah, the actor. The, a- the, the actress. actress. It's her line of home furnishings. So oh. I'm, I'm, I'm really not even upset at my wife. I'm more upset at Drew Barrymore. Yeah, why would she? Why would she put her name on something that only makes two cups of coffee? Yeah, yeah. It's probably some <laughs> Hollywood elitism, you know, that I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't, yeah. I don't understand it either. So. Yeah. All right. So it's spring. Uh, and this, for me, this, this, uh, conversation is going to be short because I mean, I, I, I'll get excited like tomorrow, uh, what's tomorrow, tomorrow's the last day of March. And then we have Friday, which is, uh, the first day of April. Obviously we get into Turkey season here in Iowa. Um, are you a, are you a Turkey guy at all? Oh yeah. I'm a big Turkey hunter. Okay. <clears throat> all right. So. Uh, I, 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 I like turkey hunting when it's turkey season, but like even, even up until now, all I'm thinking about is deer and I'll think of, I'll stop thinking about deer for the four days that I go turkey hunting and then I will start thinking about deer again. So what just high level questions real quick. What do you like about turkey hunting? Oh man. Um, to me, so like, like you were saying, I, I kind of switch gears to turkey hunting like starting around april like the next couple weeks yeah i'll start scouting and getting really into it but you know if it's if it's spring i'm gonna tell you my favorite type of hunting is turkey hunting and if it's fall i'm gonna tell you it's deer hunting so it just kind of depends on the time of year but i i love turkey hunting just because it's a lot it's a lot different you know than deer hunting you're not sitting in the same place i like to run and gun you know, I like to, I hunt a lot more public land when I'm turkey hunting. So I'm, uh, you know, bouncing all over the place and it's, it's warm out. Um, 
you know, you go with your buddies. It's more of a social thing for me. I'm usually with a couple people or something like that. So it's just a totally different uh, type of hunting. And it just, uh, I don't know, it just, in the spring, it just seems like that's what you're supposed to be doing to me. I love it. Yeah. But. Yeah. And that's the thing too, man. I mean, it's, I've been cooped up and, and now since I recently had my uh, vasectomy, I, I've been in and just kind of relaxing. I want to get outside and start moving. I'm not quite there yet uh, and start, you know, checking trail cams or, or going and like some, right after my kids get off the bus, I could probably, you know, hop out to one of the farms or some public around here and just call and see where the, see where the turkeys are at and things like that. But um, yeah. I'm not, I, I don't know. And, but my favorite thing about the spring usually is I think it even has surpassed turkey hunting and that's looking for morel mushrooms and fishing for, oh, fishing for smallmouth up uh, on the mist, uh, the Northern part of the Mississippi. And so those two, I would almost probably do one of those two things over turkey hunting at, at this point in my life right now. Yeah, don't get me started on the morel hunting, man. I've, I've, me and my girlfriend is, have actually gotten super into it over the last, like, three years, I'd say. Yeah. And uh, it's become, like, <clears throat> when I'm out turkey hunting, you know, you have that really hot period in the early morning, and then you'll get that dead period. I just spend that whole, you know, two, three hours looking for mushrooms. And yeah. then if I happen to hear a gobble, I'll be like, oh, back into turkey hunting mode, right. you know. Right, right. But, uh yeah, I, oh, something about morels are delicious. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, it's been cool because I've actually got my girlfriend into it, and so yeah. that's something we can kind of both get outside and do. But well, I I don't know like how far into the mushroom world that you go, but man, morels are you know obviously the best. They're great, but there are like two other mushrooms. Uh, they're like they're called a a yellow oyster or a white oyster. Sometimes they're called a white oyster. Uh, mushroom there they grow and you can eat those and then there's also uh, ones called pheasant backs that grow on logs and trees those those other two grow on logs and trees and man you you get them when they're the 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 oyster ones man they are delicious i mean they they're very comparable to a morel but the uh, pheasant backs if you get them too past their prime they're a little chewy but they, if you get them right as they start to grow, uh, probably the size of, I don't know, two, two silver dollars, they, they can be really good too. I chop those up and I put them in my eggs and they can be really good too. So I don't know, man, if you're out there oh, wow. looking for morels, keep your eyes open for those other mushrooms too. Cause they, they, I guess, bloom in different times or grow in different times of the year. And man, they are just as good. Yeah, I'm I'm interested. Those those are all in the spring. You're yep, talking. Yep, all in the spring. And I even think it's either spring or fall. I've never run into them before. Maybe because I'm not looking. Um, are those hen of the woods mushrooms as well? Yep. Um, the, like a big bouquet of mushrooms. And I heard those are really good too when you find them at the right time. Um, but man, I don't know. I just I I the older I get, the more I am getting into the. Um, looking about looking at what the land can provide you know like i know there's certain roots and plants that you can season your food with and and pull up and make tea out of i don't know if i'm gonna go that deep right now but there's uh i i man a while ago i had uh, a naturalist on one of the other podcasts that i did and they talked about all the edible food here in iowa that you can eat and across the midwest and it's just like man if you wanted to spend the time you could go grocery shopping out in the woods oh, yeah. all times a year and find whatever you need. Yeah. It's mind blowing. I, I, I've haven't dove really deep into the mushroom world. I have like, uh, you said hen of the woods. I think, I think they all have like different names depending on where you're at. It might be the same. I've heard it called chicken of the woods. Yep. Same, same thing. It's like yeah. an orange mushroom in yeah. the fall. Yeah. And I have picked that and cooked it before and it does, it tastes just like chicken. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I tend to stick to the mushrooms because I'm kind of a chicken. I I always worry like or the morels because I'm like I don't want to get sick or right. you know, eat something I shouldn't. Right or poison yourself. I think you got kind of <laughs> yeah. I think you got to have kind of somebody who knows what they're doing go with you the first time before you just start you know putting things in your mouth from yeah. Outside, that's a fact. So. 
That's a fact. All right. So where do you live and what do you do for a living? So I live in Northeastern Ohio, um, Portage County. Uh, and I am an environmental consultant. Um, I do a lot of work for like utility companies and gas line companies and stuff like that. Um, kind of ensuring that they're uh, staying in compliance with like state permitting and federal permitting. And um, when it comes to like, you know, stream and wetlands, if they have to disturb them for whatever reason. Uh, so is this um, like an ag- agriculture thing? So like if someone has a whole bunch of hog confinements, you have to go in there and check out to make sure they're not dumping raw sewage into the waterways. Uh, I have done stuff like that, but like currently in, in the job I'm in now, it's, it's mostly for like big gas companies that okay. are like putting in big right of ways through like woods where they're tree clearing and uh, they got all kinds of permits and stipulations that they have to follow uh, when it comes to, you know, crossing streams with these gas lines or crossing wetlands. It all, it all kind of comes from the Clean Water Act. Gotcha. Um, which, and, uh, but it's a lot of, a lot of windshield time. I drive a lot, but it kind of makes it nice because I can make my own schedule sort of, um, and kind of pick and choose my busy days versus the days I have a little lighter load and yeah. can maybe get out in the wood deer hunt. Yeah. I don't, hunt. I don't know what part of Ohio this is in, but there's a town called Alliance, Ohio. And, uh, yep. I, I used to live in a That's hotel. Funny. I'm sitting in a, Oh, you're, you're sitting there right sorry, now. Go ahead. I'm in Alliance right now. No yeah. shit. I, uh, I used to, <laughs> yeah, when I, when, before I moved to Alabama, when I was working for the sanitation company, I worked in Alliance, um, for, I want to say a month or so. And I lived in a hotel there. So, uh, it was, uh, it was my training before I got my real job. So that's where, uh, that's where, I don't know, I'm, I'm not familiar with the area really because I was working nights, so I never got to go out and, and hunt or fish in that area. But uh, Alliance, yeah, I know where it's at. So cool. What's the what's the terrain around northeast uh, northeast Ohio like? Uh, northeast Ohio is pretty flat. Um, there's, I mean, there's a little bit of topography depending on where you're at. Uh, a lot of the places that I hunt are, uh, I would say mostly flat but the you know it's like 60 percent woods and probably 40 percent agriculture so it's not like super farmed for the most part it's a lot of the areas i hunt are kind of urbanized so it's a lot of smaller properties and stuff like that um i do have some areas where i hunt down in getting towards southern ohio like tuscarawas county where you do start getting a lot more topography with the, you know, the foothills of the Appalachian mountains and stuff like that, where you'll actually get big ridges and valleys and stuff like that. But up where I spend most of my time deer hunting, it's, it's pretty flat. Uh, you got a lot of big wide Creek bottoms that are, you know, slow meandering creeks and stuff like that. But yeah, that's, that's about it. It's, yeah. What's the, like if someone said you said to you, "Hey man, what's Ohio like for deer hunting?" What would you tell them? Ooh, I would say it is uh, the place to be. Um, really? <laughs> there, there's. Uh, I guess, I guess. In what respect do you mean? Well, just like like you know, every here. I'll just I'll just uh, use Iowa as an example, right? Everybody says Iowa is the mecca of whitetail hunting there's big deer everywhere and things like that but i would have to i would have to say yes if you own land and are able to manage it okay so yes there's a lot of big deer running around we don't have a gun season during our rut which helps and uh, which which helps deer get to an older age class and then uh you know because we're iowa and because we have um, a, a really good non-resident system, I think. And because everybody here is really educated about um, the, the caliber deer can get to, we're not shooting young deer for the most part. 
Um, I know there's there's groups of people out there who probably do during the shotgun seasons. They drive and they shoot anything that moves. Whatever, that's that's all right. But for the most part, um, you know, Iowa is this this mecca for me. Uh, you know, it's more it's different because I don't I don't own property. I'm not in that big managed you know, in the, in the management game at all. I, you know, I hunt some, a little bit of public, I knock on door permission. I see good deer every year. I work hard for, you know, work hard to locate them and go after them. Um, but you know, if people ask me about Iowa, I just tell them what my opinion is. Um, now I also, is Ohio an over the counter state? Uh, yes, it is. Yep. It's a one buck state. So you can only kill one buck. Um, I guess with with that, I, I would say Ohio's probably a little underrated compared to a lot of states, but I, I would split it into I would split Ohio into like two separate categories. There's like southeastern Ohio, which is where you get all the really big public land, the good public land hunting, where I think a lot of like out of state hunters probably come to. Yeah. Um, most of the most of the bigger like Boone Crockett sized deer are killed down there every year. Um, and then you kind of have everywhere else where where I hunt, there's not a lot of really good public land. There is public land, but it's very small, and it gets hit very hard. Uh, so it's a lot of uh, private land. Yeah. And over the years, it's been a lot harder and harder and harder to get permission to hunt on private land. And I'm lucky to have the land that I do because um, I've kind of been, you know, on, on some of these properties for 10, 15 years, and I've got such a good relationship with the landowner. But um, I would say, you know, there's definitely a very good age class of bucks um, in northeastern Ohio. Uh, They do get hunted hard. They are pretty pressured uh, for the most part in most of these areas. But um, you could definitely be successful here and kill a, you know, world-class deer. I've seen I've seen many of them. I've seen many people kill them. I've not had the opportunity to kill a absolute giant, like a 200 class inch deer yet or anything yeah. like that. But, um, I've had them on cameras almost, you know, every other year I get a deer that's somewhere around that size. Well, that's um, good. That's but, a good thing. Yeah. Um, so yes. in, in Ohio, for the most, like Iowa has what I would call two different two different areas so the northwest part of iowa is pretty much all all ground so north of 80 and west of uh and west of 35 that's pretty much all ag like it's flatter up there it's all ag don't get me wrong there's some pockets of timber now the all of the the big time hunting and all the big farms that you know all the giants for the most part are coming out of southern and eastern iowa where there's more of that that land or that ag timber mix and then even up onto the northeast part of the state where we run into the mississippi river valley and all the drainages that come into that uh, holds really good deer as well but then as you get west out of that then it comes becomes farm ground again so um what's the what's the makeup of ohio i know you kind of briefly touched on it but is there one category that's overwhelming or is it kind of a split yeah i think i think it's pretty split like i said i think southeastern ohio like from columbus over to west virginia is all like you know hills there there are farms down there but they're still very small um you know you got maybe 60 80 acre fields and then all you know big uh creek bottoms and a lot of topography we're up here in northeastern Ohio. It's a lot flatter. You still got a lot of woods. I would say it's still smaller farms, uh, smaller properties. And then the further west you get actually out towards like Indiana, it becomes like very, very flat and a lot less trees, a lot more farms. Um, and the the deer numbers are actually lower out west if I'm if I remember correct, uh, I haven't, I don't have much experience hunting out that way, but I have driven out there and it is pretty darn flat and you can see it very long ways. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you spend most of your time, like, do you spend most of your time <clears throat> in that ag country or do you drop down into the, the, the big timber for most of your rut hunting? 
most of my rut hunting, I probably spend uh, right around home, right up here in Porch County, around you know that the small farm, small private private yeah. pieces. So. Yeah. What's the doe tag allocation like? Uh, last year, so they they break it up by county. You can kill a certain amount of does depending on what county you're in, and then you're allowed to kill six does across the whole state. So if you have multiple counties, so like Portage County is a three deer county, they give you one buck tag for the whole state, and then you can kill two does, or you could kill three does in Portage County if you wanted to, because you get an either sex tag. And then uh, if you have multiple counties that you can hunt, you can jump around and kill as many does as you want until you hit six. Gotcha. At least it was last year. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so do you, do you have a favorite spot to hunt? I mean, is that why you're spending your, your rut, your rut, uh, time up in the North, uh, the Northeast part? Well, I, I, so I probably have, I would say five private farms that I hunt within a 20 minute drive of my house. So that's kind of why I spend the most time there is because I can get out to those properties as much as I possibly can. It's really easy to get off work, you know, before the daylight change and be out in the woods by three or four o'clock, you know, if I need to be. Um, so it's just, I guess, accessibility, just being able to hunt as much as possible is why I spend as much time at these, these properties around yeah. me. Yeah. Okay. So let's see here. Um, when it comes to your time, right? You said you have a lot of windshield time. Uh, do you get good vacation uh, time or, or time away to hunt throughout the, the season? Yeah, I do. I, I usually will take two weeks off. Okay. Um, two weeks in a row? Starting like, yep, yep. Usually I like to take that all one big chunk just because it's, it's easier on my work. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just nice to have two weeks away from work. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know a fact. What I mean? So that's a fact. It, yeah, row, which is really nice. Yeah, when I was when I was hunting or when I was living that cubicle life, the first couple of years or the first five years I was working that job, I didn't get very much time. Um, and then we got, I, I had five years in, so they up your your PTO, and then the the company got sold to another company, and then we got additional time after that, uh, from that. And then I, after seven years there, I think it was or something, I got another boost. So I was get, excuse me, I was getting like five weeks vacation. So one would be a Western hunt, oh, wow. two would be for the rut. And then the other two would really be for either sick days, sick kids or family vacation type stuff. So, um, I got, I got lucky at, at that point, but man, there's guys out there who, their job only gives them like five days a year, right? Or, you know, yeah. if, if they're self-employed yep. or something like that, they have to struggle to get out and find time. And, man, I, I look at that and I, I say, man, that would suck. It's tough. That would be super tough. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty lucky. I get uh, four weeks, so I'll usually take a week in the spring uh, to hunt turkeys. I'll take two weeks in the fall to hunt deer yeah. and then – save a week for whatever you know if my girlfriend makes me go to the beach or something like that yeah i feel you I feel, you, got, you gotta you gotta spend a little time with them right yeah uh, yeah yeah sure. <laughs> so how do you approach every year like like what's your goal uh every year do you have a uh do you base your goal off of filling the freezer or an age age class or an antler size or how do you approach every every season well i i would say i always approach it with um super high expectations and then most years those aren't met yeah. so i become a um uh what do you call it like a opportunist hunter i guess yeah but um but yeah i i i really am into the you know hunting a specific buck hunting you know a specific age age class of deer um something that gets me going so i like this year i didn't kill any does um i just killed one buck this year this past season um which i was very happy about i 
I'm not struggling for meat or anything, you know, one deer lasts me and my girlfriend for pretty much, you know, six months or something like that. So I, uh, I had no real need to kill any more deer. Um, not that I wouldn't if I had the opportunity, but, uh, but yeah, I, I kind of look at, you know, what happens with me every year, I'll, I'll end up putting out trail cameras sometime in August, um, starting to get, you know, an idea of what bucks are kind of in the area. And I'll, you know, every year I'll have two or three that, you know, really get me excited that I want to go after. And, uh, but I don't hold myself to those. So like this year, the buck that I killed, I had never seen that deer before. And he walked in front of me, got my blood pumping and, uh, I shot him. Um, but I, I guess, um, how do I put this? Um, your goals changed after that or things changed? Yeah. My, yeah. I guess my, I guess my goals change. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I always get stuck on some buck and I hunt him and I hunt him and I hunt him and, you know, I have been successful doing that in the past, but it, it, it's pretty difficult because there is so much pressure. And a lot of times I've, you know, had bucks that I've been after that have been shot by neighbor or something like that. Yeah. Kind of got to be quick on your feet and, you know, figure out okay now what am i going to do and that's why it kind of helps having multiple properties in my opinion because you have that ability to bounce around and have multiple targets and stuff like that yeah yeah it that's that's so tough i mean every year for me it i i used to be i'm only shooting him if he's four or five or um you know he's got to be big or he's got to do this and then i started having these conversations with myself like man it, so I spend a lot of time or I spend a lot of my thought process putting together hit lists throughout not only the summer and then, you know, those once the velvet comes off, there's that shift in September or that's what I witness. And then so some yep. of those deer leave and then they either stay on the list or they they leave the list. And then for my main farms, I really don't hunt them a lot until late October. So right before I start to get into the swing of things and and start, you know, the stand rotation and and getting in there and actually hunting in that pre-rut time frame all the way, you know, through the rut, then um, I'll check cameras. And as deer come into the area or I find patterns of deer, then I say to myself, okay, here is the group of deer that I would shoot. And then maybe it's five deer, let's just say. And then for me, if if I'm not waiting for something, so I kind of know what I'm looking for. Now, if something bigger comes along, I know that I, you know, hell yeah, I'm going to shoot it. I identify it in the stand and then I shoot it. But then, you know, if, an, if one of those deers just, one of those deer, those bucks just stop showing up, I, I'm kind of like, ah, eh, well, he either moved away and he's not on the farm that I have access to anymore or, um, or he got shot by somebody else. Right. And so I have a, I have an idea, a baseline that I'm trying to accomplish. And so in tw- last year, I shot the dominant buck on the farm, the biggest buck on the farm, um, whether that's you know not necessarily antler size for score-wise, but he was probably the oldest and definitely the dominant buck in the area. So I took him at the time, 21. Uh, man, it was, it was one of those years where I was looking for a good deer and uh, – all of the big deer from early October had disappeared. They would just stop being on camera. So I shot at the time, the biggest buck on the farm. I hunted for 14 days in 2019. And then, um, and this is where it comes. This is what, where, what you were discussing kind of comes in. And it was, I had to make an adjustment because I was hunting one particular deer in 2019. I think it was, or yeah, 2019. And so, that buck just kind of disappeared. I hunted him hard for 12 days. I had one encounter with him. I had two trail cameras, uh, pictures of him. And then I had to make an adjustment and be like, Hey, listen, I might eat my tag or I can just go for another good quality deer that's in the area. And another good quality deer showed up. And then that other buck disappeared. I never got any pictures of him again. So it's, I don't know, for me, that's one of the hardest decisions to make as to what, what is shootable? Oh yeah. I think, I think early on in my hunting career, I was like definitely like duped by the hunting industry because mm-hmm. it, it took me a long time to kill my first deer. Cause I was, yeah. 
you know, I thought, like, oh, it's got to be 150. It's got to be a five and a half year old deer where you can't shoot it, you know, and yeah. And then you're worried about what your buddies will think if you shoot something smaller than that. And, <laughs> um, you know, it took it took me a it took me a while to kind of realize, you know, shoot what makes you happy. Yeah. And uh, but like what you're talking about, your deer disappearing on you, that happened to me this year actually. I had a really big uh, ten pointer showing up on camera all through September, early October, and um, I hunted him probably. I want to say two times and yeah. then he disappeared on me which you know i could have bumped him out of there or it could have been just he could have been shifting because it was right around that time shifting his you know area where he was going to hang out for the fall yeah but uh i never saw him in the rest of the year yeah so that was the buck that i was kind of hanging my hat on all through september i'm like that's the one i'm gonna i'm gonna get that one and uh when it didn't happen i was kind of like now what? Because I really didn't yeah. have any other bucks that were, you know, interesting me um, on camera that year. But so what do you do? Um, you know, yeah. so so that buck disappears, and now it's time to say, you know, this is no joke. I talked to a guy I went to high school with. He is a big buck slayer. Like he kills giant deer every single year. This year, yeah. And I'm talking seven, eight-year-olds. He has a great farm he has access to. Um, and this year, I asked him, hey, dude, what'd you, you, know, what'd you shoot? And he goes, I didn't hunt much. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, uh, the, the deer that I wanted didn't show up on my farm. He must have moved away to another area, and there was nothing else that interested me. So, the, so he stopped hunting. And I've also talked with guys like Andre DeQuisto about that too, where he's like, man, man, I just, there's nothing that were, is inter, interest, you know, that there's nothing that interests me. And there's no way, like, if you're telling me there's <laughs> like, if I'm weighing <laughs> not hunting at all and only like yeah. only shooting a big deer, I'm not like, I have a, I have a soft scale. That means it's always moving up and down and I get to determine what the, the biggest caliber deer that I shoot. Now, again, I don't, I don't have access to manage any farms. So that's why I still am personally on a floating scale. And so that always shifts. Yes, I'm going to try to go after the biggest, most mature buck. But if he disappears, I'm not going to sit at home and just let the season go by when there's other deer out there to hunt, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm the exact same way. I am, uh, I like that, a floating scale. That's yeah. a really good way to put it. If, um, <clears throat> so, like, if a buck that I wanted to kill, he quits showing up, he disappears, somebody else shoots him, I'm going to start, you know, moving my trail cameras around. Um, if I don't have another buck already, uh, you know, in mind, you know, I'm going to start moving trail cameras around. I'm going to start knocking on doors, see if I can get new properties. Um, I'm going to... You know, and I probably I probably wouldn't hunt much. Like if if a buck disappeared on me, you know, mid October, early October, I probably wouldn't put much effort into hunting for the rest of that month until like, you know, the rut starts getting into swing, and then you know I'm going to be in the woods no matter what because yeah. you have no idea what's going to walk you know a mile that you know that lives a mile away from one of your hunting properties, and he just decides to walk through there on a random day when you're there, you know, and he could be bigger than the buck that disappeared on you. Right. 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 No no way I'm staying home. Yeah. So is there a baseline though? Because there are like, I'm willing to eat my tag at some point. If I want to fill the freezer, I'll shoot a doe. So in your area, is there a baseline? Like I, I won't go any lower than this. Yeah. Me personally, I'd, like three and a half. Um, I like to shoot at least a three and a half year old deer somewhere in the upper one thirty, something like that. It's yeah. kind of my cutoff. If it's if it's looks like a two and a half or it's a small three and a half, maybe I, I'll probably pass them. But really, what it is is if if that deer's coming in and I get excited and I yeah. I can feel that you know adrenaline running and I'm like, oh man, this is it, like. I'm probably going to shoot it. So I'm, yeah. like I said, I'm opportunistic. So yeah. I'm, I'm not going to uh, pass up an opportunity that, you know, 
gets me pumped up. So yeah, that's a fact. Now the cool thing, the 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 thing that I also have into play, and it sounds like what you just said is that experience. Part of the experience also dictates what I I shoot. Now here's the crazy thing, the um, the the night that I shot my buck this year. There was another buck in the area, and he was like this mid-140s, maybe 150 class 10, and he had a a hook coming out of his, just like this little hook coming out of his uh, main beam. And so he was there, and he was, you know, he was around, and I saw him crossing the field, so I rattled, and he came in, and he just stood there 80 yards looking, and... I was sitting there saying, man, that was so cool. I was able to snort, you know, I snort weed. I left my grunt tube in the car. And so the experience alone almost got this deer shot. And he made the decision for me yeah. by skirting the area. But I was just like, man, that's a really good deer. He had, he was a good, good characteristics. Could have been a three-year-old. I never, or it could have been a four-year-old. But I'm if I had to, if I had to put money on it, I would say he was a three-year-old. And just with really good genetics, and this year he, if he survived, he may have, uh, he may have, uh, he may have, you know, he may blow into something. So with all that, you know, with all that said, it's like the experience has something to do with with it as well. And if I get geeked out when a deer comes through because of he did something or maybe he was fighting or or I called him in and I turned him and came in or and let's not kid ourselves if there's a giant three-year-old with big antlers man I might I might take that shot just because I don't have the possible you know the option to to uh to manage the the farms but it's the experience that exactly. also plays into the decision making as well. Yep, I uh, I killed a nice twelve pointer. He wasn't anything giant, but he was. I don't know. He's probably. I don't ever measure any of my deer, but he was probably yeah. like, I would say mid one thirties, maybe maybe one forty, something like that. And he was a three year old, and uh, this was a couple of years ago, and I kept telling myself that I was going to pass that deer. You know, if he, if he gave me a chance to shoot him, well, the first opportunity I had, I ended up shooting him because he, he was up on the hill um, from my stand and he's he was making a rub and yeah. I threw a couple grunts at him and he turned and stiff-legged and walked right down the hill to me and I was, you know, I couldn't resist at that point. But yeah. That, like I like you said, it's, it's, it is about the experience. Yeah, and, yeah. You know. So... So your baseline, do you have a, a baseline then as far as, you know, it could be, I don't care what the experience is. I'm not, sh- I'm not going to shoot like a two. My goal is not to shoot a, a two-year-old or something in the 120 class, you know. And again, I don't want to come off as arrogant. This is just the environment that I hunt. You know, obviously my scales change because I shot a, a probably under 120-inch buck in South Dakota this year. Uh, but it was the experience that got that deer killed. So, um, do you have a baseline for Ohio of what you're you're looking for? Yeah, probably, probably about what you said. Uh, I would probably not shoot anything <clears throat> that's like a two and a half, and you know, sh- smaller than 125, something like that. Yeah, that yeah. would probably be, yeah, my limit there. So, what would what would you consider a good on on the on the law of averages in the areas of Ohio that you hunt, what would be considered a good deer? Uh, or average, deer an, that average would probably, an average buck. Average would probably be in the one, 130s, 135, I would say. Yeah, okay, that's cool, that's cool. And even, even here in Iowa, I mean, it, every year for the past 10 years, I've run, I have run into a 140 class deer within shooting range. Okay. I'm not at this, at this point yeah. in my life, I'm not really interested in, unless that 140 class is 25, you know, 24 inches wide or, you know, or ha- is maybe an eight pointer that's real tall or something, you know, and then a big body could change that as well. But like 140 class, I would say would, it would be a, a good deer for the average guy in the area that I hunt. So, and then obviously 
you, the more work you put in, the more you can I, you can find the bigger deer. But um, I would say law of averages, a 143-year-old would probably be a, the, a really good uh, representation of the areas that I hunt. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So kind of getting into that then, like, how do you, how do you approach your season? I mean, are you the guy who goes out and October one, when, when does, uh, Ohio season kick off archery season kick off? It's usually the last, uh, Saturday in September. Okay. So I think last year was like September 25th. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. So are you an opening day guy or do you, you play the waiting game, the patience game and, and, uh, and try to, you know, focus on a better time of year. Oh, I'm definitely an opening day guy. I, yeah. I got to get out on opening day for sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if I, if I have a specific buck that I'm trying to go after, like obviously opening day, you know, depending on what's going on, you may not have the right wind to get in there. You may not have, you know, maybe I haven't gotten pictures of them for a while or something like that. Um, that's why I do like having multiple properties that I can bounce around to. Cause you know, with all the properties I have, even if I'm just going on a doe hunt, you know, I'll have certain properties that <clears throat> I'm, I, you know, I haven't had any good buck pictures or something like that on, maybe I'll just go on a doe hunt opening morning or something like that, but yeah. I'm getting out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. See for me, that's when I'm taking my out of state trips. Uh, I just feel like my time is better spent other places especially here in iowa most i'm not joking man trail camera data for me lets me know now i'm i'm telling i'll say this with an asterisk because i believe deer move all year round in daylight at some point but trail cameras tell about how far can how far they move when they're actually moving things like that but i have just like this, just so much trail camera data that tells me that the the deer that I'm interested in really aren't showing up or aren't being daylight killable until that last week in October. So I don't focus much of my attention in, um, in October in Iowa unless I go out and check trail cameras some weekend and it's just like, boom, shooter on his feet right here this time. Then I'll go in and make a move. But other than that, I'm just like, I used to be that guy who wanted to hunt every single day all the time. And now I just realize, like just because I am hunting doesn't mean that it, it still means I'm part of the pressure on any given farm farmer property that I hunt. So I'm just kind of, I just kind of chill. I kind of wait. And then from there, it's more like, I don't know. I just, just play, play the game and, and the game is better played in in the better time of year and that's where i find my success so i don't know have you ever had any early season success uh i have and you know maybe i could take a lesson from you because i i feel like i am probably that guy who wants to get out in the woods as much as possible um and again i think having a lot of different you know private farms that i can bounce around on definitely helps limit my pressure on each one of those properties and i can be pretty strategic about how I attack each one of those properties throughout the whole season. Um, like the buck I was talking about earlier that disappeared on me this past season. Uh, he actually, you know, normally I probably wouldn't have even hunted that farm, but he was showing up at like four thirty, five o'clock in the afternoon, like three days in a row. The first like October 4th, October 5th, something like that. Like the first week or so of bow season and that was one of the only reasons why I dove in there after him, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think, uh, <clears throat> I think being able to, I get, what was your last question? I'm sorry. The, you know, being able to, you know, wait, be patient versus going in and just trying to get them from day one. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's definitely important to, you know, be patient, um, like I said, I'm lucky I have the ability to bounce around and kind of be patient, but still be able to hunt all the time Yeah, and without pressuring properties that I don't want to pressure, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. Um, what do you, do you take any out of state trips? 
Uh, I I do not. I've taken out of state turkey trips. But, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I have not taken any deer hunting out of state trips as of yet. Yeah. Okay. So you hunt. You you kind of scatter through Oct- uh, October. You know, probably checking trail cameras and things like that. When do you cannonball? Yep into the woods and you know because you mentioned you have a two-week vacation you take two weeks when when's the time that you kind of cannonball into the woods and you're just you just start i guess quote unquote hunting hard yeah my my favorite time is usually that last you know october 25th october 26th is usually when i will start my vacation um I think I really like hunting that last week of October and then leading into that first week of November. Um, and then, you know, when I go, when I go back to work, usually it'll be like the 14th or something like that. I'll hunt a little bit as I can, you know, through the rest of November. But, um, I think October, the last week of October is probably my favorite time though, because I think a lot of those big mature bucks, they're, they're still kind of homebodies. Um, but like you said, you see on the trail camera data, on the trail camera photos, you know, they start becoming more daylight active. They start hitting scrapes more. Um, I'll get them in those staging areas and, you know, uh, moving throughout daylight a lot more, uh, hitting rub lines, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, early week of October and then like, or that last week of October. And then a lot of times what I've noticed, you know, especially on the farms I hunt is, around that November 1st, November 2nd time period, a lot of those bucks that I've been getting on camera end up just disappearing on me and I won't see them. You know, they, they've left and they got another, you know, doe a mile down the road or something. Um, and then you won't see them until, you know, early Jan or early December or something like that when they come back, if they even do. Yeah. Let me ask you this. This is something I've noticed and I want to get your thoughts on this. A lot of people, you know, depending on how how you were introduced into hunting, people somehow think that, and I talked about this on the last podcast uh, that I launched, but I'd love to get your your opinion on it, the, the rut and the timing of the rut and the timing of the pre-rut. So on the farms that I hunt, and so I, I while I'm icing down my genitals uh, the other day, you know, after my surgery, and I'm looking up <laughs> at all the deer that I killed, and I'm just like, Every deer that I shot that's mounted on my wall, minus two. Two, I would say, were in full rut activity. They're either chasing an active doe or I watched them breed a doe and then come off and then they got shot. Two, the rest were all by themselves or without any does in the area. Like the only deer I saw or the or they were with maybe other bucks, but that's it. So it really had me questioning, you know, versus what you used to hear, like November 1 is the rut versus the pre-rut is the time frame that before the doe groups go into their cycle and they're, they're able to be bred. So the rut doesn't necessarily mean November 1st on a calendar. It means when those doe groups, and that's why there's different ruts throughout the entire you know, state or yep. nation or whatever. So what are like, do you have a timing that you kind of try to live by? Because for me, just like what you said, I don't think things really get cracking on the farms that I have access to until after November 5th. Yeah. And that could, that could totally be possible. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that the rut is completely dictated by, um, daylight, how much daylight, uh, that, the uh is during the day i guess um i don't really think the moon has much Uh, i think maybe like on a daily level it definitely affects them a little bit but i think as soon as you know in my opinion as soon as those deer go hard horned i think that's like the start of it and i think it's a very gradual slow um thing all through the month of november all the way up to that peak breeding point, which, you know, around me, it's usually between, I want to say like the 11th to the 15th or something like that is that lockdown phase when those bucks are with all those does. But, uh, I think 
you know, it, it's, it almost varies in my opinion from like farm to farm too, depending on those doe groups, because I think sometimes you'll get does that, you know, certain doe groups that are maybe more mature than a doe group down the road. Um, so they might come into estrus as a group a little earlier than a doe group down the road might come into estrus, you know, three or four days later or something like that on average. Yeah. So I think it, it all really depends you know, it's, it's so variable and there's so many things that go into it. But, um, <clears throat> in my opinion, I guess when, like when October rolls around, October, like the last week of October rolls around, that's when you really start seeing around me that, that he- heavy, like kind of seeking sort of, yeah. you know, bucks are on their feet in the evenings, they're checking scrapes, they're, they're checking field edges, looking for does. They're, you know, working those uh, staging areas a lot. Um, and then it doesn't really break out like crazy chasing. Like this year on November 1st, I actually had uh, an encounter with three bucks, like dogging a doe. I felt so bad for her, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they, like, had her, they had her like pinned down in this like cattail swamp and would not let her leave. And you could tell she was just like, Please leave me alone. And and they were, you know, and the one was probably, the one was probably like a, I don't know, a four year old, like seven point, real old seven point. He was, uh, he was real cool looking deer. I probably would have shot him if he, if he would have stopped, but he came barreling down the hill past me going 20 mile an hour. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, it just depends, you know, cause then, you know, two days later, like the buck I shot, he was all by himself, just, doing the zombie walk, you know, you could tell he'd probably been walking for three days looking for those. Yeah. Um, yeah. But man, that's, that's crazy. I just, I, it's, it's crazy. I, I don't know. We sit here and talk. I, it still blows my mind. And I covered this a lot. It's, it's crazy how on fire a property can be and dead a property can be within a, a handful of days of the rut. Right. And so, yep. man, I, I've had those, I've had those years where I'm, I'm, I'm like, dude, the, the sign is here. There's some, there's some nocturnal movement coming through, um, or, you know, there's, there's some doe groups coming through, but one thing I've kind of observed is if you are not, if you are not observing mature does, there's not going to be mature bucks in that area unless you get lucky and one's one breaks away. So it, it's, I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy for me to see like, like how hot something can be versus how uh, dead a property can be all within a 24 hour period. And then, so, you know, for, I don't know, you've probably witnessed this just like I have, you sit, you, you sit, you see some good deer movement for th- two days in a row. And then the next five days on the same farm, it's just dead. It's dead, and then all of a yep. sudden, maybe there it picks up or something like that. It kind of goes in this ebbs and flows, and and I wish I could read that. I wish I could say it's not worth hunting right now, or hey, man, I need I just spend all my time here. Yeah, it's so hard to tell, man. And you know, it could even be where your buddy's at uh, on the same farm, a hundred yards away, and yeah. he sees everything, and you see nothing. You know, even yeah. though you're next to sign. Um, you know, a lot of it, I think, like the last, la- not last season, but the season before, I I was I started noticing I was hunting, like there were several different hunts I had where I would see like fawns, like yeah. one or two fawns would like come in and like bed down next to me, and I would see no other deer like the rest of the day. Like I pulled an all day sit. I remember two seasons ago and. I had these two fawns bedded underneath me for like at least four hours, something like that. They get up, move a little bit, bed down again. And I saw zero deer. Yeah. And, uh, the next day I made a move and I don't know. I I think that morning I saw six different bucks or something like that. And it's just, you know, it's all about reading sign and putting yourself in spots where, you know, those bucks are going to be moving and, yeah. You know, I've always said that <clears throat> I've always said that I'm not like 
the best deer hunter, but I'm pretty good at hunting the properties I've been hunting for so long. Yeah. Because I just know how deer use those properties. Um, like I, I, I got certain, you know, stands and stuff that are, are just really good every year, certain times of the year. And it really works out for me, but, um, I also, you know, staying mobile, I think is staying mobile is probably the biggest thing that's like changed my hunting career yeah um in the last like six years yeah uh, just you know i i used to hang i used to hang like permanent sets and, you know it's kind of a pain in the butt every summer you gotta go make change ratchet straps and make sure they're not falling apart and make sure everything's safe and all that stuff yeah um i've kind of gotten away from that and I just carry the same stand in with me every time I go hunting anymore. You know, I, I, I still have maybe one or two permanent stands that I hang. Um, yeah. And I'll set in maybe once or twice a year during the rut because they are on like really good pinch points or something like that. But um, besides that, I'm, I'm bouncing around and I'm, I'm hanging that lone wolf. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. Well, I tell you what, man. Um, I really appreciate you taking time to hop on and BS with me today. Uh, thanks for for uh, you know sitting in your truck and taking your your work break and chatting with us today. So, uh, good luck this upcoming season, man, in the turkey woods and in the deer woods, and and keep me posted on how you do. Appreciate it, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. Huge shout out to Josh, man. Really appreciate your time. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day. Thank you very much for listening to the network and listening to the uh, Nine Finger Chronicles and the Hunting Gear Podcast and all the other shows that are on the network. Kudos to you guys. Um, Be sure to follow on social and be sure to go leave a five-star review. If you have the time, please go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, let everybody know that you love this podcast, and that may generate some uh, additional, uh, you know, some additional exposure for me, and I would really appreciate that. So thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Good vibes in, good vibes out, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.